Listener Production. Hi, my name is Mark Howard. On the evening of August the 8th, 2018, Jared Lyle passed away after giving it his all fighting leukaemia for a third time. He is survived by his remarkable wife, Bryony, and his beautiful daughters, Lucy, aged six, and Gemma, aged two. Over his journey, Jared has been supported by, and in turn supported, a wonderful charity called Challenge, which supports children and families battling cancer. Go to challenge.org.au to give them your support. Thanks. Jared Lyle was a son, he was a brother, a father, a husband, and a mate, a really good mate to so many people. He was a golfer, a prankster, and a ripper. Quick with a smile, fond of a beer, and warm really warm to everyone he met. This story was recorded in March 2017 and released later that year. We've decided not to alter the way it was originally told. Rest in peace, big man. On November 14, 2013, Jared Lyle stood on the first tee at the Royal Melbourne Golf Club. And I walked up there and as soon as I seen that, I started crying as well. And I'm thinking to myself, this is just going to be the worst tee shot ever. I've never seen such crowd emotion it was it was yeah. you know even now I get tingles down the back of my neck just uh, remembering what it was like this was a moment many thought would never happen the reality is I could die I could die in three days I could die in three weeks I could die in a month you know no one knew I just kept thinking I'm not asking if he can go and have a happy meal before he starts his chemo I'm asking if he can be at the birth of his child hey Jared Phil Mickelson here just wanted you to know that us in the tour everybody here on the tour are really pulling hard for you the big man from Shepherd and Victoria Jared Lyle has hit hundreds of thousands of shots in his career swings, all of those birdies and bogeys, clutch putts and near misses. This is the story of just one of those shots. One shot, one moment. People that were dealing with the same thing or similar issues to what I was dealing with, I I don't know, it gave them hope. It let them know that there was still a chance for them to get out and do what they want to do. Mate, I used to play cricket Saturday mornings and then golf Saturday afternoons and, you know, if I wasn't batting... I hated cricket. Mm. Like many Aussie kids, a young Jared Lyle's weekends in country Victoria revolved around sport. And my, my coach of the team, uh, one of my best mates, Dad, he said, oh, Jared, you can have a bowl. And I'm yelling from the middle, no, don't put me on, don't put me on. He goes, no, no, we need to try something. And the first ball was just this perfect half volley that went straight back over my head and went up into the, uh, the commentator's hut at a football oval. And yeah. I said to my coach... Yelled from the middle. I said, that's why I told you I don't want to bowl. Compare yourself to a modern-day batsman who's playing for Australia at the moment. What style of operator were you? Oh, I was, I was like a boonie. Oh, a boonie? Yeah. <laughs> on the cans as well. I oh, mate, I could, I could have been on the cans. <laughs> but it was golf, which he was introduced to through caddying for his father, John. And I used to go and caddy up, you know, the first seven holes and then I'd sit with, with Grandma under the tree and have a Coke and a Mars bar. It was golf that Jared fell in love with. I remember going out with Dad and playing and, you know, my first set was like a 5799 and a, and a four wood and this kind of deal. He always had that drive and, you know, he said it once before, that's, that's what he wanted to do is become a pro golfer and was always um, US tour uh, in his sights. That's the voice of Gareth Scott, a high school mate, a golf mate, a lifelong mate of Jared's. Every moment he had, he was at Shepparton Golf Club. 
be it on the range, on the practice green, out in the course, all the time. It, golf was golf was his life. Um, yes, he had his mates, but he knew for him to get where he wanted to go, he had to sacrifice some stuff and commit to to practice. And that's, that's what he did, to his credit. So, with a professional career beckoning, 17-year-old Jared Lyle, with the world at his feet, was about to receive some awful news. Shocking news. Life-changing news. It was just like a flu-like kind of thing. And then I was playing footy with my mates at school and copped an elbow in my chest and woke up the next morning and I had this bruise that pretty much covered half my chest. And I thought, oh, that doesn't really look that good, mm. you know, and... I hopped out of the car that morning to go to school and I got halfway across the road and just felt horrendous. So I turned around and luckily mum was still there and I jumped back in the car and I said, look, I've got to go to the doctors. I think something's wrong. I'm just not right. And we went to the doctors, had some blood tests and I remember going and sitting around at Nan and Pa's house in there, in Nan's rocking chair, which she still got, <laughs> and uh, just sat there and went home after lunch and then, you know, I got the phone call. It was probably about 4.30 from uh, the pennant manager at Commonwealth saying, oh, we've just promoted you to the senior team for, for pennant. Um, I'd only played one game in the, in the, the minors and, and uh, I thought, oh, yeah, how good's this? You know, I've got a few days to get myself ready to, you know, hopefully get better to, uh, to go to Melbourne and play pennant. And um, literally half an hour after I got that phone call, my doctor called and said, oh, look, you've got to go to Melbourne. We think you've got cancer. And my first response was, no, no, I've got pennant on Sunday. I can't, I can't go into hospital. I've got pennant on Sunday. I've just been, in the, been put into the senior team. Let me play one game and then we'll deal with it after that. Here's Buddy Gareth again. I can just I can see it all now. And then, you know, coming down to Children's Hospital and, and seeing him um, as he was then going through the treatment, it's, it's, it, was, it was bloody awful. It really was. So leukaemia is just, it's literally a blood cancer. So your bone marrow and all that kind of stuff, it's, you know, it's all affected by, by the leukemic cells and, you know, things don't quite work, work right. So within your blood, you've got three different types. So you've got your red cells, your white cells and, and things called platelets, which are the, the things that clot your blood if you cut yourself and, mm-hmm. and all that. So a normal reading for a, a platelet count is like 180,000, 200,000. I had 6,000 when I was diagnosed. So... You know, hence the, the massive bruise that I had that it just wouldn't stop. Well, you see the effects that the drugs do to to your body when you're fighting um, fighting leukaemia that, that he had. And, um, you know, you're, you're losing your hair, you lose your hair, um, let alone everything else it does to you. And you go, well, well hang on, that's, that's not my mate. Um, you know, you're supposed to be J-Lo, bigger, bigger and, you know, lively that he is, so... It was tough. It was tough. And, and what is the chemotherapy? Like, these are stupid questions because we hear these terms all the time, but what does chemotherapy do? It literally kills you from the inside out. Um, it kills all the bad stuff, but in killing the bad stuff, it also kills your good stuff too. So it literally wipes out... It wipes out your factory. So your bone marrow is essentially your factory within your body and, and literally just wipes that, that all out. So, you know, you'd sit there and then all of a sudden your, your red cell count is way down so you've got to have a blood transfusion to, to keep yourself going and, and things like that. And then you'll have to have platelet transfusions as well because they're dead, they're gone, you've got nothing left. And, and if you don't have any platelets and you bleed, there's nothing to stop and you'll just keep bleeding. So you need to have all these Band-Aids, I call them, 
you just got to have those little band-aids to keep yourself going. And those band-aids for me were, were blood transfusions. In the midst of fighting for his life, Jared had a special visitor. And I was in intensive care. The CEO of Challenge, Dave Rogers, walked through the door and he goes, Jared, I've got someone you want to meet. And at that time, I remember very clearly that I wasn't in the mood to meet anybody. It wasn't the right setting to have anybody come in and, and see you in that spot. And um, he said, oh, no, I think you'll be happy when this person walks in the door. I said, all right, Dave, no worries, mate. Bring him in. Who is it? And Allenby walks in. That would be Robert Allenby, a pro golfer who at the time had won in Australia and Europe and was on his way to winning on the US PGA Tour. He's kind of a big deal. Robert Allenby is the 1994 Heineken Australian Open champion. You know, he said, look, when you're better and when you're well enough to get out in the golf course, call me, let me know, and we'll go for a game of golf. And, and uh, I know... I know it's going to be a tough road the next couple of years, but, um, you know, if you ever need anything, I'm always here for you. You know, when, when I was 17, I'd never met him before and he'd never met me. It was, you know, I sort of considered him a friend because he gave me that kick that I needed to to sort of get out of there. Eventually, Jared did get out of there after six rounds of chemotherapy spaced over nine months. I remember him coming back for our graduation at school um, and he didn't have any hair and he was quite... Thin, And who's that, you ask? That's Bryony Harper. I don't know if I ever had a conversation with him in high school, to be honest. I knew who he was. It was, wasn't like there were thousands of kids or anything, but um, I just knew he was the, that guy that was good at golf, really. Now, at this stage, Bryony is only an extra in Jared's story. But don't forget her, because Bryony is soon to play a starring role. Yeah, for someone I didn't really know, I remember that was quite emotional to see him get up there and get given a certificate, even though I kept teasing him that it can't have said completed year 12 because he didn't. <laughs> I said, have you actually ever read that certificate? It probably just says, you know, achievement award or something. <laughs> Fit, healthy and happy again, ready to take on the world, our hero was more motivated than ever to be a success on course. Yeah, I, did. I, I, I don't know what it was. I think it was the... The fact that I'd overcome something that a lot of people never get the chance to overcome and, and I sort of sat there and thought, well, I've just been given a gift to, you know, get back out there and enjoy life and, and give everything the best that I can and and I did that and got to the best golfing tour in the world. After back-to-back wins at the Lake Macquarie Amateur in New South Wales... Jared Lally wins it again. This kid is going places. Jared turned pro in 2004. In February 2005, the 23-year-old teed up in just his fifth professional tournament. Welcome to Royal Melbourne for the final thrilling day of the Heineken Classic. The kid from Shepparton finished just one shot out of the playoff tied for third. Six years ago, he was battling leukaemia. Now he's battling some of the best golfers in the world. Third place. Great finish, Jared Lyle. $115,000 in prize money for that little effort, which Jared described as better than a kick in the butt, followed up by a successful rookie trip to Asia with a second in Macau and again a second place in Brunei. Jared Lyle from 15 feet for birdie in second place. Tracking nicely. Boom! Well done, young man. Recording, we're going. That's the voice of 2006 US Open winner Jeff Ogilvy. He's recording from Phoenix, Arizona, where the former world number three lives competing on the US PGA Tour. Now, 
you've heard about Jared Lyle as a golfer, you've heard about Jared Lyle as a cancer patient, but it's time to tell you part of the real essence of this story, and that's about Jared Lyle as a bloke. Shit, he's a great bloke. Um, he's just a proper Aussie country bloke, really. And when you live where I live, and we live in America, you don't see them very often, you know what I mean? But like, And you kind of get used to them in Australia. People are so, so genuine and... Uh, just loves a laugh. I mean, he's just he's just what you would picture of, like, just a good, solid country bloke who loves a laugh and loves a beer. I mean, that's Jared Lyle. He's a great bloke. Now, I love this next little story because it perfectly illustrates Jeff's point that the big fella is just a ripping bloke. A pro-am played at professional tournaments in the week of the event is where amateur golfers, often sponsors, friends and the like, get to play 18 holes with the actual professionals. Now, if you've ever been to one of these, it can be mighty awkward when the pro... Bang! Hits a 300 straight down the middle, and you, well, you don't. What's it like when you get on the first, a day before a big tournament, two days before, and old mate doesn't get it past the ladies' tee or just scrubs along the ground? You think, oh, this is going to be a long five hours here. Yeah, but the, th- the, the thing with me is if that guy doesn't get it past the first tee and he's embarrassed, I'll go over to him and I'll say, mate, don't worry about it. All right. You got 17 holes to fix that up. You're a good man. I said it's one shit shot. Who cares? Mm. You know, I've done that before. I've done that in the practice round at Pebble Beach where I've hit the tree off the tee and it's come back and finished at the front of the tee and <laughs> my caddy took a photo of it and put it on Facebook and all kinds of stuff. So everyone knows that I didn't get past the ladies at Pebble. Here's that story I was just telling you about. One quick story, mate. I played with a guy at uh, the John Deere tournament, lost 22 golf balls in the first 17 holes, <laughs> never got on the green, Didn't never pulled his putter out of the bag. Half the time he'd hit his tee shot in the trees and he wouldn't worry about it because there's anacondas and all this kind of stuff in the trees over there. So he wasn't too concerned about going in there looking for it. And we got to the 18th tee, or our our, our 18th hole, which is a ninth. Yeah. And I looked him square in the eyes and said, mate, you're putting on this hole. I said, I don't care how long it takes us to play this hole. I said, the other boys don't care. I've already had a chat to them about it. We want you to finish this hole. I said, and you're finishing it with the ball you started with. And he's looked at me, he goes, you sure? I'm like, mate, we'll find it. Don't worry. We'll all get in there. We'll just we'll get <laughs> rattlesnake bites. We'll get all kinds of stuff. But we're fine on that golf ball. And he hits it in the trees off the tee. We take about seven minutes to find it. I throw it back out in the fairway. I thought, no, you can't hit it out of here. Bunts it down there, fats the next one, tops the next one, hits it back in the bush. I throw it back out. He's on the green for about seven. And... As I said, mate, he hasn't pulled his putter out all day. He's had about seven or eight putts, walks off, and he goes, thanks, Jared. I had a great time. He said, sorry. And I said, mate, don't apologise. I said, mate, it's your first time on a golf course. I said, I wanted to make sure you had fun. Anyway, so we've gone and had lunch, and we're sitting in there, and he's gone up to get his lunch, and he's, his boss, who played with us as well, he goes, thanks, mate. I said, what for? And he goes, he's just had the best day of his life. Yeah. Because of what you did on that last hole. See what I mean? Genuine, genuine good bloke. It's now 2007. Jared has spent the previous year on the secondary US tour, the Nationwide Tour. That year, 22 players qualified from the Nationwide to join the richest golf tour on the planet. With US $390,000 in earnings, Jared's 18th position on the money list granted him entry onto the US PGA Tour. And by the way, we need to thank our good friends in the United States at the PGA Tour for generously allowing us to use commentary from their wonderful events in telling this story. Without their help, we simply couldn't have. 
So, now qualified for the US PGA Tour, the kid from Shepparton in Victoria was set to fulfil his dreams and take on the world's best golfers. At first, it was very daunting, you know, standing on the range at, at Hawaii or at Palm Springs or at Torrey Pines and you see these guys that you've been watching, you know, from the age of yeah. six or seven, you know, you'd sit up at the Masters and British Open and all that kind of stuff and you'd watch it on TV and you go, I hope one day I can do that. And then you find yourself in that situation, you find yourself playing with these guys that that you've been growing up watching and it's 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 the scariest concept in the world. Is it? You know, you stand there and like the first couple of weeks I found myself watching guys on the range going, oh, that's Ernie Els, I used to play golf with him. And I remember when he came up and spoke to me at the Heineken in 2005 and, you know, and there's VJ Singh, this guy won 10 events last year and, you know, just, just little things like that and you sort of... And then um, I was having a chat to a mate of mine at home and he said to me, he goes, Jared, they're just another guy with a golf swing. And once they sort of that concept got into my head that they're just another guy with a golf swing, it was like, right, well, you're right. They do it better than I do, but I'm playing the same tournaments as them, so it must mean that I'm half decent and I can do this pretty well. That mate, the one with the advice... Was Gareth? He, you know, he'd mentioned that you know I had a chat with Tiger Woods, and I'm like, yeah, of course you did. You know this sort of stuff. So he'd he'd give it to you a little bit in that sense. And you know, I was just talking the other day to Ernie Els, and I'm oh yeah, okay, no worries. I bumped into this bloke. Yeah, good on you. Now remember Bryony, who we heard from earlier on. I finished year twelve. I went to uni for six or seven years. I told you she was soon to become a big part of this story. And I was driving into into Melbourne and. May have had a few beers after missing the cut at the Aussie Masters the day before May have. with my mates and thought, oh, I just need a bit of a bit of a drink. So I stopped in at a BP servo and she was working there. And really, yeah. And did you move some smooth stuff out at that point? Or? No, mate. I obviously I wasn't feeling a hundred percent, and mine wasn't going at uh, at full capacity, and didn't even give him a phone number or anything. So I found Jared on Facebook, as you do. And sent him a message and I said, I'm not going to friend you because I'm not going to, you know, presume that, you know, we're friends or anything. Um, And I'm not going to ask you to give me your number because I imagine you don't want to give it out over Facebook or whatever. Um, But here's mine and if you want to catch up, you know, we can. So you were on the front foot here, B. I guess so. I know so. Well, <laughs> from what okay. you've just told me. Yeah, I guess so. So we just met at this um, small pizza place and I was there first and, and my friends arrived and I said to them, oh, look, because I hadn't told her and I said, oh, I've actually got someone coming. And she was, ooh, you know, and, I, and, and who was this guy? I said, well, to be honest, this is our first date. Ooh, this is so exciting. They were so excited about the whole thing. And she said to me, what does he do? And I said, um, do you know what? I'm actually not going to tell you because I'm not sure. I said, I don't know if he's comfortable with me saying anything because I didn't know whether sometimes he just says, oh, I work in accounts or, I, you know, just something to not have to talk about it. Mm. And then as we were having dinner, eventually her husband said to Jared, oh, so um, what is it that you do, Jared? Um, and I was kind of holding my breath a little bit. And he said, oh, I'm, I'm a professional golfer. And his, and his wife, Jackie, my good friend, it was as if she'd been holding her breath all meal. She literally kind of went, I thought you were a porn star. <laughs> With Bryony and Shepparton and Jared playing on the US PGA Tour, theirs was a love story with a modern twist. He used to say to people in those first couple of years that I was his internet girlfriend. 
because that's really how we got to know each other was through email. After a couple of years, Bryony soon joined Jared in the States, awaiting a life of luxury. Big paychecks, private jets, fancy hotels... Yeah, yeah, that didn't uh, that didn't happen in my my little story, mate. <laughs> right. But but look, it's that's the side of it that gets shown to everybody is the private jets, yes. and you know you got these guys taking selfies on there with trophies, and you know three other guys on the plane and caddies and all that kind of deal. But so that's not it. No. Oh <laughs> no, it's you know when you're a small fish in a big pond like I was, yep. that stuff doesn't happen. You you've got to get yourself around by yourself and. Yeah, I can't tell you how many delayed flights I had, bags gone missing, you know, just just little things like Travel that. Travel stuff. If you were on your private jets, you wouldn't have to worry about it. It's very difficult. Look, I mean, I think... Uh, Here's Jeff Ogilvie again. I mean, it's the elite of golf, right? I mean, it's probably the hardest, the hardest place to earn your living playing golf, but the rewards are the highest. Do you ride it financially? Yes. Yeah, it's it's money driven. He could play 52 weeks of the year, pay to get there, pay for accommodation, pay for flights, pay for all the rest of it. And if he misses every single cut, he doesn't make any money. Or he loses money. Yeah. So what's that like watching at the course or on TV when you know you've got bills stacking up and he's making parts, missing parts? Yeah, it is incredibly frustrating. And 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 yet I still have to try and show that I'm being supportive because, you know, the mental pressure that he's under. But, you know, he could, they miss putts and they're worth tens of thousands of dollars to miss that putt. Gerald Lau for his birdie from 22 feet 2 inches up the hill here on the par 4, 13th hole. Not much movement at all. He reads it just right, but a little bit too much steam on that putt. Rims out and he'll have about 2 feet left now for his par. 15 grand, gone. Right there. So this now, back up the hill for his par. Oh, no. Another 10K gone. Two putts, $25,000 up the spout. The bills you were going to pay, the overdue mortgage you were hoping to pay, not this week, maybe next week, if you play well. If. So, yeah, incredibly frustrating. So, and it's not just a, oh, bad luck. It's, you know, you've literally missed the cut and missed a chance at any sort of payday you know, because of a couple of missed shots or something. It's Jared Lyle. But there can be good days, <laughs> great days. So, look, it was it was one of those shots that you know, I'm going to remember for forever. The year is now 2011. It's the second round of the Phoenix Waste Management Open. The hole, the 16th, also known as the party hole. You know, it was to do it on that hole. Of all the holes in the world of golf that you choose it. to have a hole in one on, there's probably two. And one would be 16 at Augusta and one would yep. be 16 at Phoenix. And and I did it at Phoenix and there's nothing else in the golfing world that equates to what the feeling is walking onto that tee. You know, you can, I can only equate it to walking on the MCG grand final day. They're all drinking beers and there's music. From and- 8 o'clock in the morning with gates open... They're drinking. Do you think it's more of a, a golf atmosphere or a party atmosphere? Party atmosphere for sure. I'll ne- I remember talking to McCaddy about it and I was kind of in between clubs and I thought, well, the last thing I want to do is hit it short to that flag. It's no good. So I took the club that was a little bit longer and didn't quite hit it as hard and 
Anyway, this thing came straight out of the middle of the club and as soon as it came off, I thought, oh, it's too far. It's going to be about 50 feet past. It's an eight iron. Do that big fella, he screams yeah, yeah, out. Yeah, out. Do that big fella. Mate, Not that you watched it back many times. No, nah, I've probably seen it. I think most of those views on YouTube are mine. <laughs> <laughs> I carried on a fair bit. Well, you're going to have to tell me what you said. Well, and this is why I loved it so much, not so much about the I've got my five-year-old about ten feet from me, but I screamed out UF and beauty. (laughs) You did. Full volume, It was full volume. I had no idea. I hadn't seen the camera that was about ten feet to my right. Mate, it was one of those moments that, as an Aussie, there's no better term to scream that out than, exactly. than what I screamed out. And the funny thing is not one American knew exactly what I'd said. <laughs> so things were now going well for Jared and Bryony. See if Jared Lyle can take advantage of the brilliant second shot. This for back-to-back birdies, nicely done. The putts were now dropping. A couple of wins on the secondaryweb.com tour. In 2009... 275,000 US in prize money. 2010, $422,000. Another 317,000 in 2011. Enough, importantly, to keep requalifying for the big tour, save some money, and to start finally planning for the future. He got home later that day and I said, Oh, a package arrived for you. And he said, Oh, do you want to open it? I said, Oh, it's not. I don't know what it is. He said, you can open it if you want. And so I was opening it. And then, and here he is home from golf and it's, you know, the humidity in Orlando is revolting. He's hot, sweaty, stinky, you know. And I was opening it and got out the little box or whatever. And then he, I think he, he will hate it that I won't remember. I think he then kind of got down on one knee in front of me. And, and I, uh, and I just burst into tears and it wasn't for quite a while that he actually realised that I hadn't answered him or something. <laughs> and he said, are you saying yes? I was like, yeah, I think I'm saying yes, because <laughs> it was just such a shock. After going through leukaemia, etc., are they... Does that, in theory, affect your chance to become a dad? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so that, was, that was the one thing, you know, when I was sick in 99 that... Yeah, I did ask that question. Right. And they said, look, chances are pretty slim because of what the chemo does to everything. I had actually been through that process of um, I may never have that experience. And, you know, I think the average person would probably never, if you wanted children, the expectation would be that it will happen. And, you know, if you wanted to have them naturally, then that would be an option for you. Um, but there was but there was a chance, and especially if we couldn't even have used, you know, Jared's sperm, that I may never have even had the experience of being pregnant. Our happy couple did get pregnant. So Lucy was just kind of a, a shot in the dark and a bit of a miracle, yeah. The father-to-be spurred on to his best result on the US PGA Tour. Third shot now at 18, Jared Lyle. Do that, Jared Lyle. Soldiered on and then I got to Riviera, which was my fifth event in a row and had my best ever finish on tour. Feeling not 100% the whole time and, and played played well and I finished fourth. How much did you win to finish fourth on US PGA Tour? Uh, that one was about... 
260-odd thousand. I'm going to sidetrack you here. What's it like when all of a sudden that money goes into your account? Yeah, it's nice. Is it, is it bizarre? <laughs> yeah. It is weird, yeah, because it's, it's not something like that's my biggest check by a long way. It's a big check. It's a big and, check. you know, you sort of sit there and, and you think to yourself that, you know, I just want a quarter of a million bucks yesterday. <laughs> and there it is sitting in my account on Wednesday and you're like, that's the best feeling in the world. Life couldn't have been any better for the Lyles. Within one week, it couldn't have been any worse. I got this little thing on my, it was like a little mozzie bite on my, my left bicep and I'm sort of sitting there going, I don't, I don't know what this is. And I woke up the next morning, it was bigger than it was the day before and then it got to Wednesday and it was just like really inflamed and red and I thought, oh, it's obviously infected. So I went and saw this um, doctor they had at the golf course and and he just put some cream on it and he goes, oh, this will get rid of it. It didn't. Anyway, so I get home and I'm doing my own sort of surgery on it, I'm getting a... Of course you are. You know, I'm getting a golf tee oh, and all kinds of stuff and squeeze and pus and, oh, and all that stuff out of it. Golf tee. Because I needed... I, I couldn't straighten my arm and yeah. I needed two more days to play. This was in Mexico on a Friday. By Monday, Jared was seeing a doctor in Orlando. By the end of the week, he was back in Australia, in Shepparton. I was a week away from my due date, or two weeks away from my due date. Got picked up at the airport, drove back to, to Shep. Went straight to the doctors. He had a bit of a rash on him that Paul looked at and then said, oh, I'll send you get some bloods and whatever. And so, you know, all routine, you know, no problem, and went home. And I just had, the day before maybe um, our friend who's a photographer did some photos at our wedding, had just dropped off a DVD of all these photos. And I said to Jared, do you want to have a look at it? So we put it in, had a look, and, you know, we're thinking about our wedding, which had just been a few months prior, so this was March and we were married in December, but he'd literally been away January, February, March and was coming home for the birth of of Lucy. And he called me about three hours later and said, mate, it's back. You've got the same leukaemia as what it was before, but a more aggressive strain of it. He goes, well, I've already made arrangements for you to go down to hospital in Melbourne and, and get started pretty much tomorrow. He just kind of retreated into this shell of I don't know what it was. He just immediately thought the worst and whatever. And I was I was like, I have no idea what's going on right now. Here's good mate Gareth again. It was it was bloody awful. I mean I, I lost it when I went home. I started crying and um, just knowing that the hell that he was gonna go through it was it was awful. I guess the first thought was that I've got another fight on my hands. Mm. But then all I could think about was, you know, Lucy was still in Bryce's tummy. I could, I was only thinking of, you know, the good stuff that has just happened and all this stuff I'm going to miss out on. You know, and the reality is I could die. I could die in three days. I could die in three weeks. I could die in a month. You know, no one knew. Jeff Ogilvy. He'd already dealt with enough and now he's got to deal with it again. The whole feeling and the energy on tour, instantly you could tell there was just, the whole tour was just—it was just love for Jared and uh, get better, and that made golf just for, even if it's only for a few days, and everyone gets back to business as usual. For a few days, golf didn't matter to anyone. It was—we we, everyone understood the trivialities of golf and chasing a little ball around. So it was uh, the feeling was—it was very tangible, and it was—it was—it was really nice to. to that the golf world would sit up and take notice of a, you know, of, of, of a golfer from any country, but from Australia, it made me feel kind of proud and happy that, you know, people, people are watching, people feel. 
so we got down to the hospital and and luckily Bri had some kind of um, mentality going on at that, that time that I didn't have that she said, look, can we just hold on for a, a couple of days? I need information. That's, what I, that's how I operate. I need information. I need facts. I need, you know, I want someone to explain this to me and no one was prepared to. And I'm, I just kept thinking, I'm not asking if he can go and have a happy meal before he starts his chemo. I'm asking if he can be at the birth of his child. She said, I've already spoken to my doctor and she's going to induce me tomorrow to have Lucy. Oh. She goes, I, I think Jared needs something to, you need something like this to get him through. Oh, good heavens. Jared was faced with a shocking dilemma, one you just can't imagine. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know how you could have done it. You know, your, your life's in the balance, but you've got an op- a wonderful opportunity to see your, your child come into the world. Put off life-saving treatment to see the birth of his first child or start treatment immediately and potentially never meet little Lucy. I was nervous because, you know, you're delaying life-changing treatment um, but he was he was adamant and the kind of guy he was just go, you know, fuck it, I'm going up. And he did. The Royal Melbourne Hospital agreed to delay Jared's chemo. Made a couple of phone calls and got in touch with um, a guy at the Royal Melbourne Hospital by the name of Jeff Sher and he said, look, Jared's not going to die in three days. I'm happy to delay his treatment but the minute if he gets a fever at any time, he's down here with me straight away. No questions asked. And we said, okay. So luckily, you know, Bri got into hospital, had Lucy pretty quickly. I got to spend 12 hours with her and then I was back in the car going back down to Royal Melbourne to, to start my treatment the day after. Can I ask you what those 12 hours were like? Mate, that was very, very emotional. It was, um, you know, I remember she was born, I don't know, it was like 11-something at night on the 10th of March. Mm. And... We got back to the room and normally they don't let you, you know, bath your, your newborn no. for a day or two or whatever. But Slippery little suckers that they are. Yeah, but the nurses there, they knew exactly what was happening with us and they said, look, you go and give her a bath and we'll, we'll watch you give her a bath. And, you know, so I got to do all these things that should happen a couple of days mm. after and I'm, I'm getting to do them straight away. And I remember Bri went and had a bit of a sleep and, and I just sat there. They wheeled another bed in for me to sleep on and and I just sat there on the bed just staring at Lucy. Don't know what I was thinking about, don't know what I was doing, just staring at her. And then she'd cry and I'd just grab her tummy and I'd sort of rock her a little bit and rub her and she'd go back to sleep and I'm just like, you know, it was the best 12 hours of my life. You know, I've just seen my daughter be born, one that I didn't think was ever going to happen and here she is. And, you know, I jumped in the shower the next morning Hopped in the car, kissed the baby, kissed my wife and said, I'll see you soon. And I didn't know whether I would or I wouldn't. So now it was time for Jared to take up the fight once again. You know, but but laying there and, and just feeling horrendous and then, you know, when Brian and Lucy finally got to come down to Melbourne, there's nothing I could do. I couldn't change nappies. I couldn't even really hold it because of the chemo that would be seeping out through my skin. I didn't want that to get on, on Lucy and the doctors were saying, well, you know, you've got to be very, very careful with that. I wanted to be there as a distraction for him as well. Um, so I, I saw, you know, the, the whole lot, the good, bad and the ugly. So it was, it was tough. That's what mates do. You know, I get, I get a bit shaky now thinking about it. It's, it's, not, it's not nice at all. Mm. That's the end of the first part of Jared Lyle, The Moment. Please join us for part two, where Jared gets set to play the biggest shot 
of his life. Listener.